Tonight, we are hearing from the father of one of three young men killed in a horrific triple murder in Polk County over the weekend. I just killed Cassie. We just left her house. This is not a f joke. Dude, oh I just killed God. Cassie. Oh, f that felt like fucking real. Uh, I mean, it went by so fast. Shut the f up. We gotta get our act straight. Okay. Hi everyone. Hello. I'm Lauren. I am Ken. And this is Paradise After Dark. Dark, 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 dark. Paradise After Dark is a weekly podcast covering true crime, unsolved mysteries, missing people, and urban legends. We cover cases such as the vampire of Dusseldorf, the Cracker Barrel murders, the cases of missing Terrence Williams and Felipe Santos, serial killer Bobby Joe Long, and much more. You can find us on all podcast platforms. If you love true crime and all things mysterious, please give us a listen. You're listening to Sirens, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Sirens Network. This podcast contains explicit content, so listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the hosts and do not reflect the views of affiliates, associates, or sponsors of this podcast. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. I'm actually going to do a little backstory on the relationship with their dad. So this takes us back to Ashley's brother, Shane Freeman. And we're going to go back a little over a year uh, because three months before his death, Danny had told Dwayne Vansel, again, his stepbrother, that should anything happen to him, they should look at the Craig County Sheriff's Department. So there was allegedly a feud between the department and the Freemans uh, that began with Shane Freeman. When he was shot and killed by a deputy, overall, the shooting was actually ruled justifiable. Um, Danny was planning to file a wrongful death lawsuit against the department just before this fire took place. I think they were, what was it, like five days out? It was, yes. I remember her saying like five or ten days out. They had, they had to meet this deadline um, to file this. Have the money. Yeah, and they were trying to get the money together. Because I think she said it was like $5,000 or something. That's quite a bit. That they were trying to get together um, to file this wrongful death lawsuit against the department and so the sheriff's deputies volunteered to remove themselves from the investigation um, of the fire and the deaths of Danny and Kathy and the disappearance of the girls because of this matter relationship between yeah because of this uh, they say their stance is well when we realized whose home it was we just stopped immediately because we knew that they were going to say that you know, we were messing this investigation up. So we just stopped immediately and called in the OSBI. Wow. Yes. Ashley's brother, Shane, was no angel. Um, let me tell you what led to his death. So we start with Dwayne again and his family. 
they were actually out of town. They were in Branson, Missouri, and they returned home, and, and Dwayne found his truck covered in mud, and the tank was nearly empty. He knew that it had been his nephew Shane. Um, he had given him permission to access his shop while he was gone. He told him he could go in there and use whatever he needed to, but Shane had actually gone ahead and broken the locks in the house, had taken the keys to his truck, and went on a little joyride. A lot of people that we have talked to, a lot of resources that we have seen and read, all state that Shane had this kind of wild hair, I guess you could say, because he was being abused at home by Danny. Um, That there was a lot of abuse taking place within the home and we don't know what extent I I do have a a couple of incidents that I'm going to talk about but we don't know if that was extended to Kathy we don't know if that was extended to Ashley that's not that's not known it's not known however uh whatever Shane was going through I have no doubt was at least witnessed would have spilled over into by them yeah when this happened, when Dwayne figured that it was Shane, he immediately went to Shane's friend's home because Shane had been staying with a friend for a while because he didn't, he never wanted to be home. He, he just didn't want to be around Danny. And so he was, he was staying at this friend's home. Dwayne went to this friend's home where he knew Shane was going to be. He literally drug him out of the house and down to the sheriff's office. He said he wanted to scare him a little bit, like scare some sense into him, like scared straight or whatever. And he basically wanted the sheriff to say, like, this is what could happen to you if you keep up your ways or whatever. And so he was waiting at the sheriff's office with Shane's parents. They filed a report and told the sheriff's office all the trouble that they've been having with Shane. Now, up to this point, he had been involved in some burglaries. He had been stealing cars I believe it was another like one of his friends he had stolen his car and then it's like was turning into just taking strangers cars no violent crimes that no I know of. no violent crimes like sneaking out and you know partying and you know reckless teenage stuff um, but no he had from what I understand he had not threatened anyone uh, even to this point it was like still the car keys and still the car it wasn't like give me your keys you know it wasn't yeah. it wasn't like that it's when people weren't home is what i yes. got these yeah he was he was burglarizing people breaking into their homes and taking money taking food <laughs> and, i mean that's all bad yeah. but it's not it's he hasn't he i don't from not killed anyone or you know there was nothing that was violent on someone else's person it wasn't violent to this point it wasn't and so they actually had arranged to give shane a tour of the jail to kind of you know scare him straight this is where you're going to end up and he he did straighten up but only for a couple of months on august 20th 1998 Shane had been, he had been living back at home because after this incident, he had to move back home. Because of this incident had been grounded for a while and they stripped him of his phone privileges. 
Now, back in that day, <laughs> in the 90s, if we weren't able to call someone on the landline, you know. It was a tragedy. It was, I mean, a, yeah. it was all you had for social media. Yes. So what had happened was he got stripped of his phone privileges, but he was very crafty. And so he knew that his dad had this like telephone cord. He snuck out and got it and hooked it up to the phone. And so he was still using the phone. Well, Danny found out. And according to Shane, Danny, quote, hit him more than 30 times with this telephone cord, along with slapping him in the face and punching him um, with his fist at least three times. And so Shane went to the sheriff's department, like, immediately and reported it. He did not return home after that. And you remember that guy I told you, Troy Messick, one of the guys that showed up? Um, at the fire scene, he was also involved here. He actually met with Danny at a convenience store where Danny reported Shane as a runaway because Shane refused to stay home. So then, September 2nd, 1998, an arrest warrant is issued for Danny, charging him with injury of a minor child, which was a felony at the time. Um, And then on October 20th, 1998, Shane actually testifies in court at the preliminary hearing for that. November 6th, 98, Shane turns 17. January 4th, 1999. So Shane has been staying with a friend. Again, he takes his friend's truck without permission, along with a very large gun, which the friend claims to not know where that gun came from and uh, he showed up at his grandma's house and begged her for her car keys claiming that someone was quote going to kill him if he didn't get to a certain place at a certain time we have no idea uh, who he was talking about his grandma asked him several times what are you talking about who are you talking about and he just he would never tell her like he just kept saying grandma if you don't give me your keys um, they're gonna kill me they'll kill me I need you to give me your keys. And so finally his grandma just gave in and handed him the keys and he took off. But when Shane left on this little expedition, he told his grandparents he needed to borrow their truck, that he needed to go to McAllister. And they said, no, we'll drive you. No, you don't. You can't go. You can't go with me. They'll, they'll hurt you. I have to do this myself. So they told him if he didn't have their truck back that night, they'd turn him into the cops because they decided he was gone rogue, you know? Yeah. What followed was a four-day-long crime spree um, and actually earned him the name, quote, the Red Light Bandit. So she had a blue 1985 Chevy pickup, and that's what he took. Um, Shane wound up in Afton, Oklahoma, um, which is about a 20-minute drive northeast from his grandma's house. And this is where his mechanics class that he was taking at the Votech was. Um, but he, like, never attended class. <laughs> so for the next few days, Shane's whereabouts are, like, highly disputed. His friend Justin claimed that Shane was afraid of DHS um, putting him back in the home with his father. And he was so adamant that that was going to happen 
and that he never wanted to be in the same home with his father again that he took off. I think with trauma and abuse, you know, it's almost like he was spiraling, spiraling out of control and he was, he was doing things to get himself in trouble on purpose. And it kind of seems that way because he was trying to find something that would keep him out of that house, whatever he had to do. He yeah. didn't want to be in that house. Yeah. So even if he had to go to, to jail, to jail, yeah. that would be better to him in his mind than going, you know, back living with Danny with his dad and so I think that even though he kind of always had a you know dabbled into you know stealing cars and he really accelerated it at the end because he was trying to do anything he could to keep him keep himself and I think with trauma and you know when you see abuse it's almost like you see the victim in permanent fight or flight right yeah permanent fight or flight yeah it's almost like they cannot come down off of that and so you can see where a lot of behaviors will start to accelerate mm-hmm. yeah that time. yeah and I think this was like the last hoorah like I feel like he thought it's now or never they're gonna take me back and something's got to be done mm-hmm. so at at some point during all of this he ended up finding an unoccupied animal control vehicle in Craig County of which he stole the jacket the animal control jacket was still inside the car and along with the ticket book and so he proceeded to uh play that role for a while on January 5th when he was next seen He actually visited one of his girlfriend's houses. He had left there about 5.30 p.m. Shane attended his girlfriend's basketball game in Afton. Uh, He left there at 10.45. Overnight, um, of course, that night there was a cold front. And it brought in a big storm. And he um, he had to drive in this storm to get where he was going. He After that, after this storm, he was next seen on Wednesday, January 6th at a bunch of different locations in a blue jacket driving his grandmother's truck. Around that time is when he was entered into NCIC and reported as a runaway. Uh, later that evening, between 7 and 7.30... 17-year-old Sabrina Shivers and her girlfriend were driving up a street in McAllister about 150 miles away from Welch. I was going to say, it's pretty far. (laughs) Yeah. When the flashing of red light caught her attention. So he went to McAllister, impersonated a police officer. He'd stolen a bird, I mean, a dog catcher's light that you put on your car, Mm -hmm. and a jacket that looked like it was the sheriff's deputy's jacket. He stopped the lady, and she called 911, and she said, I need you to know there's a sheriff's deputy behind me. I'm not speeding. I don't know what he wants, but I'm not going to stop till I get to where it's lit. I am not going to stop. That's smart. Yeah. And they told her, said, ma'am, we don't have a deputy. She said, there's one behind me. 
There was somebody behind me with the lights on, and it didn't the highway patrolman. The January of 99, and this happened at the end of 99. Yeah, I remember that. And they, uh... So leading up to this, it he's was already just, wanted. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's already tit for tat. He yeah. already has a uh, child abuse charge against him. By then time the law enforcement shows up, they tell the lady, don't stop. Whatever you do, yeah. do not stop. We're on our way. Then Shane outruns them in his grandparents' car, takes it down a road, and wrecks it. Oh, my goodness. So he runs across the field, and then he steals a vehicle. And then he comes back to Craig County. Well, the next, the day he comes back, he's parked over there by our house, up in the driveway. The house is vacant. I just want to let you guys know, you do not have to pull over for police immediately. If you have your phone... You can call 911, make sure that you are actually legitimately being pulled over, and then you can pull over for that police officer. But anyway. (laughs) Yes. At some point, they found his grandmother's truck that he had taken, and it was abandoned. He apparently stole a 1989 Ford F-250 XLT four-wheel drive from a small town called Krebs, Oklahoma. Don't even know where that's at. Which is K R, I believe. K R E B S, Krebs, Oklahoma. That was January seventh, and then um, he left Pittsburgh County. No one really knows why he decided because he was. I mean, he's way down there. No one really knows why he decided to come back. Southeast Oklahoma. Yeah, um, but at some point he does decide to return to Craig County. Because he was close to Texas. He was, yeah. He could have kept going. And actually, a lot of people thought that he was, like, trying to make his way to Louisiana. Oh, and that was the night that he ended up in their house. Me and Jay goes to work. The kids go to school. And that day, he, Shane, goes visits my house. Got there about 9.05. Because he turns on our satellite and orders a movie. I didn't know that. He orders a dirty movie. Oh, he takes goodness. a bath, cleans himself up, looks for clothes, because him and Brad would have been about the same size. Oh, man. Um, takes blankets and stuff, eats some uh, chicken tenders, deep fry, fries them, fry, uh, cooks him a pizza. And I still oh my. had my dishes out for Christmas yeah. on my table. And he takes the gold plate underneath <gasps> the one, the fake gold plate, and he uses it. The kids come home from school, and my son is trying to get his little sister. Was he already gone when they no, got home? but he left there. The last movie he ordered was, was at 310. And the lady that runs the mail route saw a bronze truck. That was actually the ones he took out there when she come bringing the mail, that 130. And she said, the guy, the kid, was putting stuff in the back of his truck because he took blankets and pillows and stuff out of my house. Oh, my gosh. He also took the guns he had from my house and the ammunition from my house. What See? guns did he have there? He had 12-gauge shotgun, 22, and a 22 pistol. The 22 wow. pistols, what he had in his hand when the deputy told him to put it down. What made him run was DHS sent him a letter because they did the reconnect the family. Yeah. And they told him it was sent to the Green's house. 
you have to go home. Like you have to be there. That's you where you have, have to. You have to go home now. We reunite your family. And he told his friends, I'll either commit suicide or I will do suicide by car. Oh, no. I'm not going back home to the house. If you make me go home, and in, in the letter, it says you have to go back to yeah. He says, they don't understand. They don't understand. They they think they're doing right. It's not good. I'm not going back. Well, he done made up his mind. I mean, the four kids, his four friends that he made this pact with, that he'd commit suicide or do or do by cop, they used to go out and find abandoned barns and houses. Oh they my. took us and showed us every one they'd been in. in oh, Craig my County. gosh. I mean, that girl, she's like, well, we've been here. You go in, and you could see they'd made a fire. They'd stayed there for hours in abandoned wow. houses, abandoned barns. So this was not drug and fuel. This was cognitive. Um, I'd rather back. be dead than go home. Okay. Wow. And that's something Danny could not realize. Your son would rather be dead than not come back into your now, home. He wasn't abusive like that towards Ashley, was he? Well, they say no, but I'm telling you, when a child does not stay home any more than they have to, yeah. there's something going on in the house. And was Ashley, Ashley that way? She was just always gone? She, she was, was at, at our house, house till they got a call that said go home, or she was at the Dorsey. Her friend, uh, Katie's house, she stayed between the two houses, and she didn't go home unless she had to. Was that Deanna Dorsey? Uh-huh. Okay. Anyway, after he left her house, he went up here by Welch, seven miles where you go to the Welch Junction, and went up there and went off on the road, and that truck broke down. The tie rod broke on it. Mm. And one of the neighbors come by, knew him, said, Shane, you need help? He said, no, somebody's coming. Well, he knew exactly what was going to happen. Yeah. He, by that time, everybody knew that Shane was on the loose. And, and he had stolen a vehicle. He stolen a vehicle, and, and here you go. Hey, the boy you're looking for, he's over here on the road, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so then on January 8th, 1999, somewhere near the intersection of 4430 Road and 40 Road, which is about 10 miles from Welch, west of Welch. The truck that he stole at that point had finally broke down. CCSO Deputy David Hayes arrived on scene at about 4.20 p.m. And he's, this guy's actually the older brother of the undersheriff, Mark, Mark Hayes. He was told and was operating on the basis that Shane was a fugitive, thought to be armed. And so he got out of his car and took his mounted shotgun with him from his patrol car. He parked in front of Shane's truck so that the vehicles were facing each other. David Hayes had only been with the sheriff's department for two days when this wow. incident happened. Yeah. From here on out, the reports of what happened vary enormously from everyone that you talk to everyone that was involved I mean even when Jax was writing her book like everybody that she talked to had a different story we'll let Lorene tell you her version as well so the official report is that Shane was standing at the driver's side door of the truck that he reached into his waistband behind him raised his hand and pointed a gun at this deputy 
Um, when David went to raise his shotgun, uh, upon seeing that Shane had a pistol pointed directly at him, he told him to drop the gun and says that he refused to drop the gun. At 4.20, less than one minute after he had arrived on the scene, he shot Shane. That was his account of what happened. He says that Shane pulled a gun on him and he had no other option than to shoot him. Shane did die from this. I believe it was like several hours before family was even notified. I want to say it was like eight hours or something. It was they, a while. They said it was it was a while before anyone was even notified. And David Hayes happened to be the first one to get there. And he pulled up there and he told Shane, he said, get out of the truck. Shane's like, they're not going to make me. He said, that boy was out of my, they're not going to make me go home. He said, we can do it. He said, no, you can't. DHS told me I have to go home. I'm not going home. They have no idea what that man does. I'm not going home. And that's when he originally got out of the truck. David told him, you need to put that gun down, son. You've not done anything to get in deep trouble. So you stole a vehicle. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to get to do community service. Yeah. You've not done yeah. nothing. He said, no. And David said he said thing. He turned, got opened the door of the truck, stepped out, had the window rope down, and was pointing at him. He said, put the gun down. Well, he aimed to hit him here because Shane told him he wasn't putting the gun down. So he raised up his arm. So oh, okay. when the bullet went in, it went in underneath his arm yeah. and ricocheted. Shane turned and ran down the side of the truck over to the back, and that's where he fell at the back on the passenger side. And the pistol was underneath the wheel. For the first they said there was no gun because of the snow. It was snow on the oh, ground. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. And yeah. So, yeah, I didn't know. There was snow on the ground at the time. But they went back and looked, and they found the, the pistol, which was ours, from our house. People were saying, just for Shane to get to the bottom of the sheriff's department, justice for Shane is go look at what his dad did to him to make him put himself in that position. I'd rather be dead than alive. The, the sheriff at the time was an alcoholic, retired from being a state representative, come back and did sheriff a while so he could do his retirement some more, you know. What was his name? George Vaughn, alcoholic. Said he's a preacher. Well, a preacher, you, I mean, excuse me, you don't drink. Yeah. Because he'd come over there and tell him, well, things just don't look right over there. You, you, you might want to ask some questions. Why in the hell would you tell that to a family? That you've kind of told them that their son was shot and killed. Yeah. Wow. But yeah. Mark and David Hayes was the one that run the sheriff department. Well, the at the time, they went and told him one of our deputies shot and killed your, your son today. Was that how they said it? Most, not kind of like that, yeah. My goodness. And all Kathy wanted to know was what he said, what happened, but nobody would give him details. I mean, that's just it. That's why for the year, the fight, because all she wanted to know what exactly happened. Yeah. Well, nobody would give it. Even at the time, um, 
Clint Ward was the assistant DA of Craig County. He's a lawyer now, but, well, he was then, and then become the assistant DA, but he's crooked, too. Depends on how much money you got. You know, I guess I'm if you got money and it, it makes him look better, he'll Jeez. do everything you can and then some. If you're just a good old Joe and you just want the best outcome you can get, he may or may not work for you, but he still charges you the same. They they ruled it a suicide by cop. That's oh, what because okay. they brought in the um, Oklahoma OSBI and they sent off everything and they ruled it suicide by cop. Both. David and Marquez both took lie detector tests, have took them three times because they said the boys know how to do it. They got the best guy in Oklahoma, Texas to do that. He said, Lorraine, those guys passed it all three times. I asked them ever which way and then some. David says, Lorraine, I yeah. have kids. I have children. I would not want a cop to shoot my child. Yeah. He said, and I have to live with that every day of my life that what could I have done differently? But he said, Shane would not put that, that pistol down. And if it hadn't jammed, he might have shot David, but it jammed. You know, he said, I think about that every day, but he said it didn't matter. And then there was a deputy by the name of Charlie Cozart, who, when it all was said and done, never had a cleats license to be a sheriff deputy. He got somebody to forge it. They got hired on there by George Vaughn. And he thought he was above God on a lot of stuff in Craig County. In fact, after they found out he didn't have a cleats license, Jimmy Souter, when he come in there, he had to reinvest, you know, reissue, bring him in, check out. That's when they found out Charlie Cozart didn't have a cleats license. He couldn't. Then they had to go back and pull every case that Charlie had done. Right. Was he there by himself or was there another deputy there that also wrote a report, which there was yeah. almost on yeah, all then that wouldn't be. So then if he did all those reports that if something went to court, it wouldn't be. It would all be thrown out. Because he wasn't. Yeah. That's what they had to do, go yeah. back and see. is Was he the only one or was there someone else? Most of his things were just petty stuff, you know, yeah. you do this, you do that, and nothing ever went to court on most of the stuff. Yeah. If it did, there was always, he made sure there was always another signature on there. Signature on there. Yeah. He didn't, well, that blew it up. Well, then, of course, it was the animosity between uh, him and Danny was, those are tit for tat. This is where things started to sour. Um, between the Freemans and the Sheriff's Department because they felt like Shane did not actually have a weapon and that this was some sort of cover-up, that he had been shot by a new deputy who didn't know what he was doing and that it was all being covered up. This is why there's animosity um, between the Freemans and the sheriff's department a big reason why the sheriff's department didn't want to investigate the case because they knew that they would just immediately say oh you're doing it wrong you did it intentionally wrong you wanted to mess this up on purpose they already thought that you know they had killed Shane and it was just the beginning of this horrible nightmare Ashley had told us that Dwayne thought he was too good Mm. for them yeah because of her dad and his situation you know 
they only saw them one time a year and it was at Thanksgiving for two hours. Why? Danny's dad and married Dwayne's mom. But when it happened, after it happened, we went over to Dwayne's house and Glenn had come in, Dwayne's, uh, Danny's dad, come up and his wife come up from Louisiana because that's where they lived. And he was saying, yeah, Danny was always a hard hothead. When he was a kid, I would take and I would have to beat him with straps and all the stuff oh, you use on the farm because he was going to do what he wanted the when he wanted. The cycle never ends. And, and I looked at him and I said, Jay, we're going to have to leave. I will not disrespect Diana, Dwayne's wife, in her home. But I gotta leave because I'm gonna fix it. Gotta say something. And uh, he said, "Well, don't leave." I said, "Glenn, do you think the reason your grandson is not alive, Danny is not alive, and now Kathy, and we have no idea clue where the girls are, is because Danny was you made him a monster? That he thought that was okay. That's how you treat people. Well." I don't know, but he was always a hard kid. And I looked around and Dwayne, and I said, him and his sister, I said, what did you guys do when all this crap was going on in the house? And they said, well, you learned to be scarce. I didn't even know that Barbara was Danny's birth mother, because I knew Barbara just from her second set of kids. And uh, when she showed up there the second day when we were getting ready to clean up the place, uh, I said, Barbara, what are you doing here? And she said, well, Danny was my son. Ashley had told us there at Christmas that Barbara and Danny had met one time. Wow. Hoping that they could form a relationship. Yeah. But she told Danny I had to leave your dad because he was mean. But he wouldn't let me take you boys with me. You guys were workhorses for it yeah. to do the farm. But she took the two girls. They okay. had four four kids. Yeah. And then at a certain point, he was messing with a black powder rifle Ooh. that went off in his face. Right. Danny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he had to have all this was all wired Reconstructed and stuff. Yeah. And they said after that, when he would get mad, if you don't do what I want, I'm the king of my castle. Mm-hmm. Lord help you. But it doesn't give you the right to be the child. No, no, absolutely not. But at the, he worked in Claremore. At the time Shane was shot and killed, he worked for a welding business there in Claremore, outside of Claremore, actually north of Claremore. And uh, for a year, the sheriff department at the time, the guys that, well, actually mainly one guy, he got people, they harassed each other forward to see where they were going. Now, when he would see it was Kathy and Ashley, he'd turn away. But if it was Danny, he'd follow him. Well, Danny got to doing the same thing for the deputy that shot Shane. He got to go into Big Cabin, because the deputy lived at Big Cabin. He would set out up from the house. The deputy had six small kids. He'd watch them play. If they'd walk down to Big Cabin to the little grocery convenience store, you know, small town thingy, he'd follow her. Kids would go in there and call their mom and said, Mama, we're being followed. So then as he would leave there and come to Vanita, they would stop him and harass him. You can't be doing that. Well, I have a right to know who the man that shot my son was. 
Well, he towed you. He towed Shane. So it was quick to follow that hunch. Yeah. His daddy went off the bench, shot Kathy, took the girls. He went nuts. Theory speculated that Danny was a small-time drug trafficker. Um, According to an informant, he had met with two unidentified men two weeks before the murders. Because I know that there's speculation that Danny was into harder stuff than just marijuana. I think he did something to come up with money, and instead of paying the money that he sold for the drugs, he was trying to raise $5,000 real quick for the first of the year to go give it to this attorney. You know, and, and it's payday. You've got to pay up. You've sold X amount. We want it, and you don't pay it. I don't know. You know, that's speculation, yeah. you know, yeah. what exactly was going on. Times have changed so much. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. what you're talking about, the and, cell phones and all that. Right. And so back when this happened, you didn't know everybody's business mm-hmm. because so no. many people have said, if you knew Danny Freeman was into drugs, why would you let your child go over yeah. there? Well, you didn't well, know that. If like, you knew that, but... I mean, he didn't know that. I mean, they knew he grew a little marijuana, which, you know, we're not fans of that. Yeah, but, yeah. but that wasn't yeah. anything hardcore. Yeah. And you didn't get into people's business. You didn't no. know everything. Yeah. There was no social there media. Was, to no. You had to go and just there. all around, I mean, people just were a different kind of nosy, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah, they were, yeah. Back then, I mean, Grandma knew everybody that came down the road because if the dust was flying, she was going to see who was passing. Yeah. That was their kind of nosy. That was, that was the kind of nosy in our Right. And it more. wasn't, yeah. you know. Standing on the porch and see what you can see. Right. It wasn't <laughs> know who was sleeping with who and, yeah. and who did what and, you know, all the stuff Facebook that people do and, now. Yes. Yeah. You know, and so I think that that gets missed a lot. It's a, well, why would you have let your child go over there? And yeah, so yes. now for people to understand what things were like 23 years ago was different. But that is a question that we get a lot was why would you have let your child go there? You didn't know. Yeah. You know, you didn't get into people's business. So of course other, others believed that Ashley killed Danny. Um, and I, I guess the ones who believe this are the ones who maybe think that Danny was also abusing Ashley because they knew, you know, this whole history with Shane and didn't know how far that extended, um, if it extended to Ashley and that maybe finally she just had it and snapped and killed Danny and then mom got in the way and so she killed mom and then she ran off with Laura. That's like so outlandish. It is. And there's, there's no evidence on no abuse with her no and i mean of course she's not around to say you know whether she was or wasn't and that's the biggest thing is that you know she never told anybody she was even with shane's abuse being open out in the open and a lot of people knowing about it and you know him having um been arrested and all this stuff and still yet we don't hear anything from kathy or ashley that say that they were abused as well Yes. So there's there's not really any and that would be really hard for two teenage girls to know what to do with accelerants and how to light a house on fire. Exactly. I mean, let's just think about that. Exactly. I mean, that's not that's something you kind of kind of have to know what you're doing yeah. or you're going to end up in the middle of yes, that. Yes. Yes. That house is going to blow up with you in there. Yes. So it, it's really something that you know and yes, Ashley she liked to hunt mm-hmm. and things, but 
we're talking about point blank up close yes to your own head. parents your own parents yeah. um with a shotgun yeah so i mean these when you really think about the story and you really think about things around that is really far-fetched yeah that, that could be yeah. even and lorene will tell us a little bit more about this um but they did notice that uh, Danny had a bunch of, before this, uh, Danny had a bunch of Arrowhead collections in the home. And they were all apparently nicely, neatly organized um, in these cases. Glass cases. Glass cases. And remnants of those. Now, this whole trailer was toppled to the ground under the pressure yes. of the water from putting it out and there was n- there were no remnants of no. these glass cases or any arrowheads found now granted the police obviously didn't investigate it very well but i believe lorene when she says she went you know over that extensively and you would see some glass oh yeah you would see glass and maybe even find because she said it was a very large collection um and several glass cases and so if you if that broke there you're gonna find you're gonna find it especially i think she said there were no windows on that wall that they were right close to so there wouldn't be any there wouldn't have been any glass there from windows so any glass that would have been there would have been from these cases so if there's no glass there at all yeah and there wasn't. And then when we got everything out that we could, then we called in people, brought big chop saws. We cut the trailer axles in half. Hooked up a tractor to them, and we pulled it apart till we was on the floor. Yeah. And they're like, well, what are you looking for? I said, I'll tell you what, the man had a collection of airheads. Mm-hmm. Half of them were in eight by 10 frames or bigger frames up on this wall. I went to the bedroom on the back bedroom there where that deep freeze is. Yeah. I said, um, there's going to be lots of glass. where it, When that wall went, there will be glass where it broke. Didn't find any glass. You think the arrowheads were taken? Uh, the arrowheads were taken because he had boxes of arrowheads. They're like, oh, that fire was too thick. I said, how can that fire be that hot? Because... The cards on the other room and Shane's, well, well, became Shane's room when they moved his stuff in that bedroom. His um, cards for baseball card collection mm-hmm. were still intact. I mean, they were water damaged and stuff, but they were still intact. Now they're all gone. Hmm. There's no glass. I mean, we took and we sifted. Were those worth a lot of money? Yep. Well, here's the thing. I have a friend who's into that sort of thing, and um, I asked him a while ago, about a month ago, um, I actually sent him a picture of the collection and said, what do you think these would be worth? And he was like, oh, that'd that'd probably get you a good penny as a collection. He said, you could probably part them out, um, like piece them out one by one, and you might get, you'll get, you know, significantly less. But for that, for a whole collection like that, you could get anywhere from, depending on who wanted it and for what purpose, anywhere from $20,000 to $250,000. Well, they had a lot. So, yeah. And there were seven eight by 10 frames on a bookcase mm-hmm. that was just stacked. And yeah. then there was a box on the bottom row. Was that the I one? think they come there because Daddy owed somebody money. And so they thought 
It's prime time, well, so when they're done, they knew he collected arrowheads. I mean, this is somebody he knew that come there. Yeah, take yeah. the money from the arrowheads. You know, well, you know, if he's not got the money, well, we're going to do what we're going to do, and then, yeah. hey, let's take them. That's partial payment right there. But then when they realize they're two 16-year-old girls, and let's do a have our way with them, let's drug them, let's, I mean. The collection has vanished. The arrowhead collection is gone. It's completely gone. We don't know where it is, but we know that someone removed that collection from the home. So it's, it is quite a bit of money. And if Danny were sentimental about that collection, you know, he's not going to sell them, you know, um, and he may not have even known their worth. Like, he may have just, you know, like I said, been sentimental about them and collected them just for him to have. If you have somebody outside of that who looks in and goes, I bet that collection is worth something. Even if you have 20 arrowheads and one of them is old enough to be worth something, you still have one of them that you can get $2,000 from or 10000 or 20000 you know? Like, yeah. so... If he didn't know that, uh, that they were worth anything, then he wouldn't have been able to sell them for that $5,000 that he needed. Yeah. Um, and so, I don't know, that's just another, like, weird piece to this puzzle. There's so many pieces to this puzzle that just don't fit. They just don't. It's very strange. After we took them out, we took the thing down, and everybody kept saying, Lorraine how long are you going to do here? I said, they kept us here at 5 o'clock last night because they were the experts. They know their job. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be here at 5 o'clock tonight. Because I went and asked somebody, uh, a doctor I knew, he showed up out there and he said, Lorraine, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm just pissed. Mm -hmm. So as long as I stay pissed, I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to do anything stupid. He said, but I need to ask you a question. He said, okay. And then the ex-fire marshal was there just for his own thingy. And he was standing there talking to Horton. I said, okay, if somebody died in this fire, what are we looking for? He said, what are you asking, Maureen? I said, I'm saying, how bad would the bodies be in there? Because I didn't see Kathy's body when they took him out. I saw Danny, and I could tell you he was a man. Mm -hmm. He had legs. His feet was hair. This hand was laying in there. His face was just, I know, like, I said, but this hand was gone. It was just a bone sticking up. Really? Mm-hmm. And I said, um, so what, if we're looking for the two girls, how how hot would that fire to be no bones? Oh, man, so hot. The Mister, the guy, the fire marshal said, Lorraine, do you want to know? And I said, I didn't ask you if I didn't want to know. He said, okay, when you cremate people, you mm -hmm. put them in the four to six hours, depending on the weight. Mm -hmm. He said, and when you shake out the bones, there's still bone fragments that they ground up and put in those thingies. Yeah. I said, okay. He said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, I can tell they used something to start this fire. Mm -hmm. He said, what are you talking about? I said, come here. They're like, my God, listen to this girl. I said, look in front of that wood stove there. See how black it is? Now you go and you look around the coffee table. Mm -hmm. Now go look around the table. 
kitchen table where it fell on the ground. Look how black that is compared to the others. How do you know the stuff? I said, I'm not dumb. I mean, I, I live yeah. on the farm. We burn shit all the time. Mm -hmm. I said, it's pitch black yeah. while the other is brown. So you tell me. And he said, okay, you're right. He said, but if we're going to find the girls, know where those girls are in here. We're going to find their bodies, their stomach contents will still be there, Lorraine. It'll be a gray, ugly mess. But that's what we're looking for. I said, well, they're not here. So what do we think happened to the hand? Because of the wood stove being on the back of that frame. That it got That was so hot enough that it burned it over. I say it was a calling card. Because one of the guys that is a drug runner that finally eventually called me and Jay and met with us and talked to us, he said that's one of the cartels. Really? That's their calling card. You're missing like a hand or a foot or something. Oh, my goodness. And it's a sign that people knows the body was found and it was missing something because if you owe up, you better pay up or something's going to happen to you. No, he was like flat out like this. He was, His feet was touching the waterbed. His, like this. this part was right in the doorway going into the bedroom. So then he face was dead. facing that way? No, they said the shotgun boss killed him. Yeah, they had a shotgun to the face. And Kathy was shot from the back. Oh my goodness. So that's why she was running like she was running back into the bedroom and shot in the back of the head. Yeah, it was 12 gauge. That would have had to have been a close range then. Yeah, it was. For sure. It was. And like I said, he his was close enough from point blank range that it blew his face plum off. I saw pictures in the sheriff department, the pictures that they took when they found her. Her whole backside of her body, you could see her bending over mm -hmm. up the back of her legs was like the skeleton of her bones yeah. going up her back and she was looking back to the south on the waterbed like this mm -hmm. this part of her face and her stomach was on the waterbed and it wouldn't work her contents of her stomach was laying on the bed and she was in a white nightgown and she was shot in the back of the head? She was shot in the back of the head. They shot them both, and then somebody grabbed their thingies. By that time, the girls somehow snuck out the back door, got out the back door and went and hid, and they decided to set fire to it. And then they're looking around saying, okay, where did, where did they go? But after we got done the second day, and we made sure it was 5 o'clock, and they're like, Lorraine, are you satisfied? I said, yep. Like, did we need to stay this long? I said, hell yeah, we did. 100%. The one in body. Denny. So your hypothesis was Denny killed Kathy and abducted the girls. Well, his ass is laying here. So now we've lost 24 to 48 hours yeah. already now. Day two. Whoever took those girls out of here could be anywhere. There, there did come a point, and I will, I'll let Laureen tell you about when the girls actually got entered into the missing person database well and i know that they didn't put them in the missing database right away no they didn't i did how long did it take for that, you to do let's that let's see that was they happened on thursday friday we found daddy saturday morning i went to Venita. i had a friend that had an office place and he said lorraine you bring pictures of the girls we'll do a poster right quick for you mm -hmm. so people can go put it put it up so I drove to Vanita, and one of the police officers in Vanita I knew saw me, and he said, Lorraine, what are you doing? I said, I'm having some reward posters printed, missing, printed up right quick. 
Brian's doing it for me. And I said, can you go look on the NCI and see if Steve Nutter put him on it? He said, I'll be right back. So he went up to the police station because where we was at the fire the station, he had a business right up there on the next block. And over one is the police station across from that McDonald's. He went in there and he come back and he said, Lorraine, they're not in it. They're nowhere listed. I said, the sorry son of a bitch. Steve Nutter told me last night that was what they were going to do. He said, well, Lorraine, they're not. I said, what do I have to do to get it on there? He said, you can put Laura, but you're going to have to have somebody for blood relative of Ashley's. I said, okay, you go, who do it? He said, but you got to go to the sheriff department. I said, it's Saturday, they're not working. He said, I'll get you somebody. So he called up one of the deputy girls, and he said, you got to come help this girl, this mama. He said, he's not going to put them on there. So I went out to Ashley's grandmother. And she said, well, I'm not going to go. Them people, you know, they killed, they killed Shane, and now they've killed Danny and Kathy and probably killed Ashley. I said, listen, in order to get them on the NCIC so we can go across states, so if the girls are traveling with somebody, mm-hmm. you're going to have to sign for Ashley, or do you just want her to stay missing? Well, no, I said, then get your ass in my car, and we're going to go there. All you got to do is walk in. They got the papers ready. You just got to sign your name. So I sign your name and walk your ass back out. That's all I'm asking you to do. So she yeah. went in there, and that's how we got the girls on there. The lady at the sheriff's department, she said, Lauren, I'm sorry. I said, just get it out there. That's all I'm asking you. And then when I got back up to Welch, up to the Freemans, because... Jay and Dwayne did a grid search that day. We had 500 people show up from everywhere. Mm-hmm. Walking, three-wheelers, motorbikes, good. horses, cars, driving, looking around there. And they would like, you go search this, then come back. If you see anything, mark it. Right. We had a lot of red flags like this Yeah. that somebody had given them. Said, you mark it, and we'll let the... And no sheriff's department, no... OSBI out there at all, knowing we were going to do this. Because we told them, we're going to do a search tomorrow. The little kid from Channel 8 News, the little reporter, was set up there, and he's like, well, are you okay? He said, man, you're a force to be reckoned with. I said, well, you know, my job right now is to find those girls. Mm-hmm. So Steve walked up there and said, well, did we see anything? I said, well, depends on who we're talking to. I said, there's a couple of places somebody needs to go check. And he had whoever was with him went and talked to Jay and Dwayne. He said, well, I'm going to get them on NCIS. I said, well, you're too damn late. You're supposed to have done that last night. Between the Veneta Police Department and some of the Sheriff Department, they're on there now. What do you mean they're on there now? I said, I made Celeste go sign for Ashley and I signed for Laura. So it's across there now. Well, I have to. Well, no, you don't have to. A parent can get them on that, believe it or not. And that kid from Channel 8 was sitting there, and he was filming him. Well, and he said, sir, why didn't you do your job last night? Good for him. Sir, why didn't you do that? He said, "Uh, I have no comment, and walked off. They did eventually offer a $50,000 reward. Um, in this case. And I I think it's still a $50,000 reward. There is still a reward. Well, so, the world isn't like it used to be. It's not. In 22 years, it has changed so much that yeah. I said, I never rem- realized letting Laura stay one more night 
that she was never coming home. You've reached the end of our episode. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Join Raven next time on the Sirens Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?